podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap with your Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Paul Cope, Rob Gutman and Melissa Reddy. To go through, well, we're telling you a series of stories. The first story is going to be that a week is a long time in football and we're going to work through that between now and about, oh, about 15 minutes or so. And then we're going to shoot over to Rob and John who are going to let it, give you a transfer update, uh, which is very good of them indeed. And then we'll be back looking forward to Liverpool versus Manchester City, almost in the sense of it being like a test match, this burgeoning rivalry which may or may not be there. All of that is to come, but we will start with a week being a long, long, long time in football. I'll go to you first on this, Paul Cope. We beat Everton uh, since we last were on the radio. We beat Everton. Uh, Virgil van Dijk uh, signed for Liverpool. Uh, Philip Coutinho, uh, well, Virgil van Dijk scored the winner uh, in that in that regard. Uh, Philip Coutinho left Liverpool. And since then, everything's gone into overdrive. And in terms of pure events, I think theoretically football maybe still moves at the same speed it always did in that games are still games, transfers, players have always moved clubs. Mm-hmm. But it does seem oddly quicker. Maybe it's partially the spacing of the games that there's never a day without football. We've had 12 consecutive games involved, 12 consecutive days with games involving top flight sides, which ended on Thursday. It means there's always something. There's always about to be a press conference between Mourinho and Conte where they're slaughtering each other. (laughs) We're not more than seconds away from another Liverpool link. I mean, I'm sure Rob loves this and we'll come on to Mm -hmm. that, but it does sort of, it's it's endless, isn't it, at the minute? And it is like a week, you feel as if you list the events, like we haven't got through all that in one week. Yeah, it's it's endless by design though as well, isn't it? That's that's the whole point of this enterprise now. The whole point of twenty four hour news and social media and Sky Sport and all the rest of it. It's literally been developed this way over the past few years. So it's it's no no surprise and no coincidence. It's funny right, when isn't it? Yeah, well, it it depends how it's like everything in life, isn't it? It just depends how you look at it. Like even even you mentioning the point there, Joe, we beat Everton, we signed Van Dyke and then we Coutinho leaves. And it, it depending on the type of personality you are that's either two massive highs and then now you're in a crushing depression and and you're really low or you just take it all in your stride and you say it's still fantastic we battered Everton and it's still brilliant we've got this colossus Dutch defender that's strolling around the place looking like Milt Trayman and the fact that <laughs> the fact that Phil Coutinho's gone, so what? Like it wasn't that big a surprise. We might in a week's time we might have Naby Keita in, and and then we'll all be happy again. So just you can't. I, I feel people can't say in the one breath it's actually about the football. We've forgotten we actually won a football match and 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 sort of sneer at the transfers. Whereas one of the the great things about the, that football match is it was obviously it's beating Everton, but the manner in which we did it was because a saviour was signed and a saviour was there to, at the Denouement to make that happen. Yeah. So the two things are inextricably just, and always. But it's not just even the matches versus the transfers. This is my point, Rob. It's more the fact that there's just always a match. Whether or not yeah, it yeah, Liverpool, yeah. it's the fact that, you know, there's, 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 we've just got off the back of the League Cup first leg semi finals where Bristol took Man City to the wire. And I'm paying attention to that, even if I'm not even properly watching it, yeah. because we're playing Man City next. And then it's Arsenal Chelsea. And I want to know what's going to happen in Arsenal Chelsea, because that's got a knock on effect to our top four dreams. And Arsenal got knocked out of the FA Cup by Nottingham Forest. And I was all over that. And when I was actually during the, 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 the Nottingham Forest Arsenal game, I was thinking, hang on, when, when do you actually get a bit of a break from this? I, I, I honestly felt like I swam in FA Cup. I drowned in FA Cup. I had FA Cup coming at my ears. It probably wouldn't have helped that way if we'd have got beat by Everton. But the very fact that we don't, suddenly I'm all over every aspect of all of those games. What's going to happen next? And Carabao Cup. I know, I'm watching, I've watched all those games you've mentioned. I think we're all watching a lot of football at the moment. And do you know what that's a sign of? That we're happy. And just, <laughs> despite Philip Coutinho's attempts to make us unhappy, we're yeah. broadly happy. And that's what that's a signifier of. I think managers say that nothing in football happens fast enough. You know, you can be watching a, 
a match and if there's not a goal in the first 10 minutes, it's suddenly, oh, there's no goals being scored. It's mm. been a dull opening 10 minutes. You know, a second can't happen quick enough when there's a, a poor run of form. Transfers, as soon as you sell a player, like immediately after the Felipe Coutinho departure, it was right who are Liverpool signing? And then it becomes like an every five minute thing. What's the update? What's the update? Who are they in for? And it becomes almost like a cycle of obsession with every, because you have the match to tie you over. When the match is not there, you return your uh, uh, thoughts to the transfer. When, when that transfer is done, you're then not happy. Okay, we've got Virgil van Dijk and who's next? Okay, we've sold Felipe Coutinho, but what now? There's always something else. And, that something else can never, ever, ever happen quick enough. And I think that's just the nature of modern football as it is. Do you know what would be fantastic is in the future, if they, football really accepts its show, that it is show business's potential, that eventually it becomes reality show time, like Big Brother. And we get, we get cameras on Klopp, on Michael Edwards, on the transfer people, Everything in training, we get to see what they're well, doing and thinking all the time. There, there, like the Truman Show. There was, there was, well, there was a great suggestion that basically the transfer window should be three days and every club should have a representative in a hotel. Yes, and every room should be wired up and mic'd up and, and, and yeah. cameraed up. And there's just three days and everyone's got to get it sorted out. Oh, and that's it. I don't think we're that far away from that, you know. Yeah. Like, did, remember the, there was footage of Sheffield United from behind the scenes that in the summer, that, yeah. which was, I thought was horrendous. I've got a mate who's a big Sheffield United fan. Playing pool most <laughs> yeah. of the day. And then complaining about a lad sitting at Sheffield train station who they couldn't possibly do any more to sign. And I'm saying to my mate, they could have just gone to Sheffield train station, couldn't they, instead of playing that extra game of pool? Well, that's... Coutinho piece in Daily Mail felt to me like it was an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It was so odd. It was like it was reality TV TV, and it felt so, in a way, disrespectful because, you know, here's a player who's still contracted to a club waiting for news on what could potentially happen, but, you know, posing for pictures like everything's already decided. I don't know if we... I think heads would fall off more than they currently are if this reality TV idea does go well, ahead. The, the, the Coutinho, Paul, the Coutinho Daily Mail puff piece was just that. It was just, oh, and Philippe's a lovely ladder after all. But the very act that it, the very fact that it, in its existence, in its conception and its existence, it undermines the purpose of the piece. By thinking we need to do a piece that says that Philippe's all right, don't, don't hate him for leaving Liverpool. What we'll do is we'll document all the time up until he just leaves Liverpool because that'll be sound. It makes me go, well, hang on, that's absolutely wild in the act of, 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 of conceiving of this and enacting it its very purpose is complete it does the opposite job and that's what that puff piece was yeah I, I thought it was really unusual and until we, I was coming in today and we were going to talk about it I've not really thought about it at all but when I stop and think about it it's incredible I, I actually can't believe for once I'm, I'm usually quite critical of the way people react on the internet but I can't believe there hasn't been complete uproar about it. And he, he is, I think he does get away with loads still, even though he's gone, because he comes across as a quiet, shy little lad. And I think we were. With a nice smile and a nice set of hair. And he's, a, and he's a little, I think we see him as a little boy still, even the way we talk about him, the little magician, and he's this little lad with that hair. You've actually never joined. heard his voice, really. Yeah. But like, I think that's part of it as well. I think he's, I he's very speaks shy like, and. Speaks like, like a. Jerry out of Tom and Jerry or Michael Jackson. Yeah. It's got the, the voice of a choir of unicorns, this lad. <laughs> but this is actually one of the most, the word that Mel used, it's one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen yeah. done. If Van Dyke was doing this what? about leaving Southampton, they'd be going absolutely insane about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, my heart sank when I saw that piece because I've got to be honest, it's, it's sometimes disheartening when a player can be 
actually genuinely a nice person and do for so long everything right, but they will always be judged by that final thing they do in mm. the way they exit. Mm. And this is the case with him again, you know, and I know people's perceptions of him have changed because, he, you know, he forcibly wanted to leave Liverpool. But in five years that he's been here, him and his wife have, like, really taken the city and the people and everything. They've socialized. They've been genuinely... His wife used to go to every home and away game, like a proper Liverpool supporter. And even when he wasn't playing, she'd go and, you know, support Lucas and everyone else. Um, and they're genuinely nice people down to earth but that decision to do that piece and and this herein lies with the agent because he's known to have a relationship with the daily mail and it's his decision you know to to document this and it's obviously a cause of interest because it's a transfer mm. a massive transfer at that it makes him look better as well because here's this man who you know Liverpool didn't want to sell Coutinho to Barcelona in January but he's the negotiator that made this all happen it's a way to humanize Coutinho to show him with his you know with his family his mom his um, daughter's wife which that's not needed because he is he, he doesn't need that he is actually nice and if without that piece if his instagram post you know of his letter saying goodbye if that goes up without the piece people look at it differently the fact that his actual goodbye now yep. is that interview is that piece in the daily mail is so great i well, i swear when i saw it i thought what are you doing what have you done it could have been different because he deserved to leave after five years of service, after not having won anything. Mm -hmm. And he had the opportunity. PSG came in for him before he signed his new contract. They came in for him after he signed his new contract. They spoke to his camp. And he batted away all those advances. And it was only Barcelona who could turn his head. I was told that Real Madrid were trying as well. But it was only Barcelona that he was going to leave for. And, you know, when your family and everyone have sacrificed so much to move with you when you were a teenager to go to Italy with you, you owe them, you know, this mm. move for their own lifestyle. So people, I think, would have been more forgiving mm. without that piece. It's, uh, it is. It was an astonishing thing. Uh, I think in general, there's no point where this ceases with South American players, Rob. They will mm. have one of Real Madrid or Barcelona they want to move to, possibly both in some cases. In some cases, it will just be one. This is where Sanchez is an interesting com comparison point in that at the minute, well, Sanchez has had a go at that. That's why he's he's that he's not going back there. He's 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 had that move, and now he's sort of, you know, he's, he's yeah. The he's, sheen was taken off it for him. I mean, they, they bought him, used him, and and made him a bit part player, and then dispensed with him when they'd had enough. So it's 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 not the golden horizon for him anymore. Whereas I think for a lot of Latin, Latin American boys, they grow up. Those are, Europe Europe is the, is the the holy grail for their careers, and those two teams are the pinnacle. There's, there's obviously the correlation to, to to Latin football, but as well, they have been the dominant forces in Europe in football now for 10 and the, 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 the greatest footballer of all time and the greatest uh, the greatest South American footballer of all time plays for uh, play, play, basically plays for Barcelona if you want to have an argument about Diego Maradona well he played for Barcelona as well if you want to have an argument you know uh, Di Stefano played for both of them uh, part Argentinian part Spanish and Cristiano's uh, you know the, yeah so it's, it's yeah there's, the, the, it's all there for them you can't for a second begrudge uh, 
I don't think any four, I don't care what nationality they are, the idea of Barcelona. Barcelona are, are the iconic force in world football alongside Real Madrid. And I, those two still stand ahead of the rest, even though Man United uh, would like to think they're Well, there. And us as well. I mean, you know, we, are, we yeah. are as romantic as any other football club going, but we've got other things to sort out. And also we've got the, the pressures at the minute of six sides going into four in terms of Champions League yeah. finishes, putting back-to-back league titles together. But this is where, you know, on all of this, Paul, it, it then becomes a matter of focus. And that's the next interesting thing when we're talking about recruitment, which will be happening a little bit after the break. You know, it seems to me there's some significant elimination you can do when you're trying to scout a player for Jurgen Klopp because his parameters become very narrow in terms of what he wants on and off the pitch very, very quickly. But he's very much hanging on to his own essence in the fact that he doesn't really want to be part of this week being a long time, this circus. He's dragged them all off to Dubai. He's got everyone out the way. It's focusing on what actually matters. Well, it's the thing on the green space and we'll sort everything else out later. And he's, he's concentrating his essence on that, I think. Yeah, this... I think that's one of the most interesting things that that's happening. It's one of the most interesting things to watch everybody else react to it, Liverpool fans especially. Because it's as Mel's saying about things, everyone wants something now and something changing every second. There's something new reported every couple of minutes. That's just not how Jurgen Klopp's gonna do business. And and as I was I was on the way in, I was thinking about this. Something something you learn as as a lawyer as you're looking at reviewing contracts and things is it's really easy to comment on the things that are right in front of you. The most difficult thing to do in anything is to comment on things that aren't there. What what isn't there that should be or what's what's not happening that's interesting. And I was thinking about Pep Guardiola and isn't it interesting? All of a sudden, no one's asking Pep Guardiola where his plan B is. And I remember vividly last mm. last year when he got asked in a press conference, where's your plan B, Pep? Where's your plan B? And he said, my plan A has won me 27 trophies in 10 years, or whatever it was. I think I'll stick to that. And six months later, or wherever we are now, a year down the line, look at what's happened by him sticking to that. Lovely segue in from Paul Cope. In a minute, uh, Rob Gutman's going to be talking to John Gibbons about transfers. After seven o'clock, we're going to be talking about Klopp, Guardiola, what it is to be a manager in this era, what it is to be intransigent and the beginnings of a rivalry. This is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. Do not accept any pale limitations. Now it is John Gibbons with Rob Gutman and we're going to talk transfers and, and breaking news if there kind of is any. The idea was that Neil had to record this segment quite early and he was worried sick, Rob, that someone had, something would break in the Naby Keita story in particular and he wanted us to be able to dive in and, and do a, I guess, a, a summary of what's gone on, but not huge amounts um, today at least. Yeah, it's a story that's ticking over, isn't it, really, rather than sort of coming to a head. Um it's keeping me keeping me up nights. <laughs> Look, there's no there's no doubt since since Coutinho left that there has been a sense of urgency. I think amongst all of us who who aren't in the know and aren't on the inside of the club to see Liverpool replace Coutinho. And when news broke a day or so ago, a couple of days ago, it began to emerge that. Um, there was a real, real chance that Naby Keita could be brought to Liverpool early. And we've all been hyped up to, to the eyeballs last summer about just how good Naby Keita is. And we were, we were all a bit gutted that he didn't sign. And then the, the end of the, of the window, we find out we've got him next season. So to get him early would be a tremendous thing. The news that was coming out of Germany, built kicker magazines, I think, were saying, um, yeah, Leipzig ready to do business now after, after being a bit of intransigent before. Leipzig in the last 24 hours, their manager at a press conference very much denied, almost, you could read it, tried to put everything to bed with his comments. Um, I'm not quite sure he did. I think no. Was, I, I thought it was more one of those things that managers say. Uh, so, yeah, I'm quietly optimistic. Yeah, it was, he was interested in Jürgen Klopp today as well in his press conference on, on, on transfers. And we do a, 
a show called Team Talk on Tour Player, which is our subscription service, which goes in in depth on the on the on the press conference and looking forward to the to the game forward. So I don't want to touch on the on the stuff he did around the game because that's all in that. But on on transfers generally, he. he I mean, he, he plays his cards fairly close to his chest on, on that subject on, on transfers, but he's also not afraid to rule things out if they're not happening. So if he, if he categorically, for example, isn't going for a goalkeeper, um, then he'll, he'll say, no, no, we're happy with what we've got. He didn't do that with attacking players, did he? Which makes me suggest that if they can get something done, they will. Yeah, I, I, I very much remember last January, uh, the media linked us to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and, and he said, and he came out and he said, I don't normally comment on rumours, but I can say that one is absolute nonsense. <laughs> Six months later, he's a Liverpool player. Um, so, the, you know, the manager does play his cards close to his chest. I think he does try to divert attention. His, his main priority when talking to the media about transfers seems to be to not give them an... Uh, any in in suggesting that he's not happy with his current squad. That's his default as a manager. It's, it's what I think makes him an excellent man manager, is he will be seen to be backing them at all times, certainly in public. Uh, and that's why I think he doesn't want to go forward and go, yeah, we need, we need, we need a replacement. Because, it, because the implication is, is that we're, we're lacking confidence without one. Uh, he, he was, it was interesting when he was asked specifically about Kaita. He, his comments were very much reminded me of um, Barcelona manager's comments about a week ago when asked about Coutinho. It was very, it was that sort of default. He's the player of another club, and I don't. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be right for me to comment. He, what he didn't do, and maybe I'm clutching at some sort of straw here, is is categorically say that can't happen this window. Out of respect to Leipzig, there's just we have to say now it can't happen. He didn't knock it out. In fact, his other comments around transfers were. It's a long month still. Uh, let's talk about this on the 31st of January. Let's see what can happen. I thought he was very much giving the impression that Liverpool were keen to do business. I think if he thought they were unlikely to, and he has in the past, he would have made more emphasis about just how happy he was with his squad and he would have talked about the options in his squad in more detail. It was. I thought that if you if you want to be a transfer optimist, I thought he he provided very very subtly some some reasons to be optimistic. On outs as well, uh, I thought he was quite interested on Daniel Sturridge in that he he very much left the door open there as well. He was yeah. perhaps even more so. He was I was asked directly about him, and it was a kind of well, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, doesn't sound too good for Daniel, does it? In terms of his Liverpool career, anyway. Yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan, the writing's been on the wall with Daniel's Liverpool career, I think, for a while. He, he fought his way back into contention. I think he had a good pre-season and impressed Klopp. Um, but inevitably, his chances were going to be limited. Uh, I mean, you know, we had the Fab Four, which is now the, the Fab Three, but, but they were keeping Daniel out the side. Uh, when there was opportunity to deputise for Roberto Firmino, who really has that striker spot uh, nailed down, um, Klopp was keen to share it between Solanke um, and Sturridge. I think just as there was becoming to be more opportunity with the games coming so thick and fast in November, December, we're playing two games a week. Uh, Solanke saw quite a bit of action. Yeah. Sturridge might have seen, but Sturridge was unfortunate to be ill and then injured. He's now back in training. You never say never with Daniel. I mean, he's back and fit and may maybe ready to fire. Let's, let's see what happens. Of course, it's a World Cup year. If Sturridge can see himself getting regular game time at a reasonable level elsewhere and that he can force his way back into the England squad, he's coming towards his 29th birthday. It's his last World Cup, I would have thought. Um, it'd, be a, it'd be quite a swan song for him to get to get back into the England squad. And I think that'd be his priority. And I'm sure Klopp respects that. 
one to watch there as well. Yeah, a few few lads have got out on loan as well today. Ryan Kent's only been back in the country for 24 hours and he's off to Bristol City, which which feels a, a really good move for him. And uh, also Cameron Brannigan has left the club permanently this week. He's gone to Oxford, which I think is quite a good move for him as well. Everything I know about Oxford suggests they play good football and play it on the deck. And I think that'll suit Cameron Brannigan, who maybe... Great was, pubs. <laughs> won't affect Cameron because he's a model pro but yeah, well maybe we can all go and see him yeah we can <laughs> um, so Rob you host uh, the, the Gutter Show on our, on our tour place subscription service which is all about all about transfers it's hot and heavy especially in a transfer window if if you were a betting man which I know you are but you, you tend to bet on the worst case scenario I bet on transfer worst case scenario <laughs> I genuinely do that so you bet on Lamar going to Arsenal uh, I haven't done that yet. I bet I, in last window, I bet against Van Dyke joining and actually cleaned up. Because, of course, he didn't. Because he didn't join. Yeah. Um, I actually, right at the beginning of this window, I bet against Van Dyke joining and he did join. Happy so you... to lose the money. <laughs> so go on, Lamar. So say you don't, you know, no, I wasn't going to talk about Lamar anyway, but say you were betting, man, but you bet on good things instead of bad things. Um, oh, yes, okay. Um, are you, in terms of ins between now and then, would you say one, two, more or zero? Um, I think I like the expression, if you had to bet your mortgage on it. <laughs> so, you, so, you, so you have to get off the fence. Um, I do think Naby Keita will come in. You do? Yes, I do. I do. I don't think it's a cert by any means, but I think I think it's just, it's the right side of above 50% chance that he does. Uh, in terms of somebody else, I also think it's the right side of above 50% that somebody else comes in and I expect... I expect them to be somewhere an attacking player with a replacement of Coutinho in mind. I'd, I mean, if we're to read the rumours, the the ideal player is Lamar. Could it? But if they fail to get him, would they almost settle for a Riyad Mahrez? I don't know, but I think I think somebody will come. But to answer the question specifically, let's let's call it two, including Naby Keita. To include in Navigator. So exciting times to come. So um, do make sure you subscribe to the Anfield Wrap if you don't. If you do, then we're we're grateful. Um, and I'm sure you're enjoying it. And do do tell your friends. If you don't, it's five pounds a month to subscribe. Uh, minimum sign up is is one month. So if you don't like it, you can cancel straight away, and you only really lost at the price of a pint. But most people tend to stay because they enjoy it. They enjoy the transfer stuff. The, the Rob is really good at. But also everything we do around uh, matches. And there's a huge match um, against Manchester City on Sunday, and we'll be doing lots and lots of build up to that and already, already started that and then straight after the game we'll be doing post-match reaction shows we'll be doing more in-depth um, more in-depth reviews more in-depth statistical analysis and, and things like that from qualified coaches so lots and lots for you to enjoy and to hopefully celebrate a Liverpool win did you do the City Talks show Rob? after oh, this no week? this one yeah 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 I'm oh, so you've done it did you go? was it good? Yeah, have, have people got plenty to look forward to? Yeah, loads to look forward to. Won't they be hearing this in the middle? Of the <laughs> they will, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can enjoy me and think about this. We're breaking fourth walls or something. <laughs> well, I've, I've Some been, sort of war. I've, I've been here. Yeah, did you tip a win? I, do you know what? For once I didn't. I said 1 1. Yeah. I think it feels like a score, score Geordie game to me, to be honest with you, this one. It, I, I suppose I just don't want to imagine how life, good life will feel if you do <laughs> Well, how long are you out for on Sunday? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I've got to go and get, catch a plane. Uh, I'm, going to, to, e yeah, I'm going to Egypt on holiday, yeah. So basically I can't drink because I've got to drive to Birmingham. Well, one, one of these very early flights. I can't remember the last time I didn't get a flight between 7 and 9 a.m. I, I, I have heard other flights exist, but I, I haven't got one. I know. My, my kids actually got to the point where they like that. They like being woken up in the middle of the night. They think it's more exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I don't like catching a flight at three in the afternoon. You're wasting the day till then. I suppose, yeah, but 
I don't know. So, so I've got to drive down to Birmingham because that's where we fly from to stay in one of these uh, airport hotels and go. So, so I don't know. It would feel like a shame to leave the city if we if we win it. But uh, I'm sure you guys, you know, the collective Liverpool people will do a great job painting it red. You see, that's my psychology. It'll be a shame to leave, but you want that shame to happen. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I always want the shame. So you're betting against. You're betting against us in a way. In a way. <laughs> betting us against in a way. Oh, listen here. Yeah, thanks to Rob for joining us for this little uh, transfer updates of sorts. And now uh, I presume there's going to be some adverts. And then Neil Atkinson will be back. Neil Atkinson back. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Listen, Liverpool is just settling in. Liverpool play on Sunday, uh, Friday evening. As you're listening to this, I suspect Liverpool play on Sunday, and it feels like, in a strange way, a little bit of a little bit of a test match, uh, which most football matches don't. I want to expand that point, but first and foremost, Mel, it feels like we're on the cusp of a rivalry in a strange sense. There's something in my mind about Liverpool and Chelsea of 13 years ago, uh, feeling like you sort of matched up against a side. That happened in 04 with uh, Mourinho and Benitez both going at the same time. And like that one, this one feels a little bit like we've got the pedigree, you've got the money. But unlike 13 years ago, I think we've got, we've also got the players that Liverpool can, you know, you can do a joint Liverpool City 11 and it isn't laughable to have six of theirs and five of ours in there. It isn't ridiculous to reach that sort of point. We we can at least feel as though we can, you know, we're, we're in the conversation with them over these footballers. Yeah, it's um, intriguing as well because a lot of people on the Manchester patch I for me this is the best Premier League fixture going Liverpool against Manchester City two sides that are not looking to nullify two sides that genuinely want to be aggressive want to take the initiative uh, two very established esteemed managers that stick to their principles um, and people on the Manchester patch as well have said you know this is the fixture they circle on the calendar as well for those reasons Um And I thought Pep Guardiola, the way he speaks about Liverpool, and, you know, he he referenced that Jurgen Klopp is one of the best managers of the world at creating an attacking side that's so varied and that can hit you in an instant in so many different ways. Um, And when City won earlier in the season, that 5-0, he came out and he admitted afterwards, 11 v 11, it's a different game, Mm -hmm. Everything changes once Sadio Mane goes off. And I think that was, you know, a turning point in City season. It, it That game just galvanised them and I, I think set them up for the run that they're on. And Liverpool will look at that moment as well because, you know, after that they went through that little bit of a blip because it, it hit them. Because I think they feel that they're not that far off City. They're definitely not five unanswered goals mm. apart from City. Uh, and so that was destabilising for them as well. So often, Rob, rivalries are actually built on similarities. Liverpool, Manchester mm. United, uh, Liverpool, Everton, culturally uh, mm. very much built on on the idea that we we are we are very similar to you, and and and, and that's how this works. Liverpool, Chelsea, going back that, that, those thirteen years ago to Mourinho and Benitez was very much about similarities on the pitch, similarities of approach, similarities of the way in which we feel as though the best football is played, and that. I think this one is, is is potentially very very similar to that as Mel said mm. before. These two sides, they arguably do have a great deal in common, a great deal in common in terms of their setup. Yeah, it's is it the best two managers in the division to an extent, one of the most expansive uh, enjoy managers in terms of the, the the quality of the football teams they put out stylistically. There's huge similarities. They both play with four attacking players at least wherever possible. Um, and I I agree with Mel. I, 
I can't help that we're, if Manchester City are champions elect, Liverpool are second best team in the country elect. We've got a lot further to go to prove that. Uh, but I believe it. I think the Coutinho thing is, it maybe realigns things. It maybe it doesn't. We'll see how Liverpool bed in with Van Dijk as semi-compensation and maybe one or two others. But I hope this is the start of a period of English football history where it is these two very, very substantial attacking teams because I also think they can have a major impact on European football. That, I think that's really interesting that Rob says that, Paul, because the Chelsea thing, firstly, I think what's important is that Klopp and Guardiola they seem very respectful to mm. each other, uh, whereas the Benitez and Mourinho turned horribly sour quite quickly. Yeah. But also, you, you feel as though they learn from each other, which you do think about Benitez and Mourinho. But the next part of this is, this almost feels like a rivalry both clubs could do with. City almost need a rivalry to put this, or whatever this is for them, in context. To give it a context, to give it an ebb and flow. United's too close, it's too unpleasant, it's too visceral. They, they, they need something else, some, they need there to be some shade to their light, if that's what it is, and it could well be us. But you also get the impression it might be one that we need as well at the minute, the idea that if these are going to be the dominant force in English football, we need to be the ones who are right there, right on them, and being able to understand and explain why. I think I think that's absolutely right. And and I think as well, this I've been saying for a while now to my mate who's a City fan, and I'm not I'm not usually prone to hyperbole, but but I will be in this instance. I think this fixture, whilst Klopp and Guardiola are in, in charge, has got the potential to become a rivalry that surpasses all others that have gone before. Because even when you think of Guardiola teams in the past, when has he ever had a rival who's prepared to go toe to toe with him? Who's prepared to say we'll we'll match you and we'll come out we'll see who comes out on top. That's what we'll do. Every time he's up against someone else, a, a Mourinho, a Conte, whoever, they, they've defeated him. He has been defeated, but not by an equal, not by someone saying to him, we can do what you can do and we can do it better. And I think that's, that's what we're going to see time and time again over the years. And you're going to see them squaring off against each other. As Mel says about, uh, we were saying off air as well, the, the Mane sending off massively changes that last fixture. And if, even if you, we were talking about their the defence before, even if Salah had been in the form he's been in since that fixture yeah, in yeah. that game, they'd have been two or three down very quickly. Their defence was in tatters in the in the opening phases of that game. And just because they won 5-0, everyone's forgotten about that. And then they yeah. went on this run. One of the, the themes that have emerged since then, you know, is like the rebirth of Otamendi. And if you think about that day and Salah yeah. constantly, constantly giving him a nightmarish time without the finish, though... That's why I say, like, that fixture and, and that moment in the game, the sending off has changed so much. And I'd give anything to go back and see what how that match would have turned out, 11 v 11, with Guardiola himself admitting that it was going to be, you know, a completely different encounter. Um, but I agree with, with Cope in the sense that it is such an intriguing fixture because you know what both sides want to do and you know that both sides don't want to compromise either. They want to be the best at what they want to be the best at. And that 1-1 draw last season was probably the most riveting match I've ever watched in my life. And it sounds silly to say that for a draw and such a low-scoring draw, but I've never seen so many things not happen that could have potentially happened in a game. It, w- it was utterly, utterly wondrous to that, watch. That was the game that Torre got basically carried off on, wasn't it? And, and wrapped in a foil <laughs> blanket. And, and I remember being in the pub 
feeling like that. I remember thinking there's going to be people dying watching these matches in the future. It was exhausting to watch, and I think that's what we're in for. I think that that is, the, the game at the Etihad last year, Rob, is what it's one of the fast. I mean, I think the condi- the weather conditions play a part because mm. it lashes down for the fir- for the hour before kickoff in the first half an the hour, is zipping and then the, the ball's zipping all over the place. But it, it is the we we since he, I remember the the Rogers game fourteen fifteen when we would go to Chelsea, and that's one of the fastest games of football I ever saw in the League Cup, and. In the years that have followed, the three seasons that have followed that year, I've been watching these matches. Some of the matches that Liverpool play get faster and faster and faster. And that game against Manchester City last season at the Etihad, the one-one, is probably the fastest game of football I ever remember seeing in my life. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I was lucky enough to be behind the goal that day, and I still haven't got over. It was too fast for Adam Lallana. There was a crucial moment where Liverpool <laughs> win that football match and make it look not the not the, the end-to-end game. Liverpool could have put that to bed. It's hard to imagine if they stay, if Liverpool and City stay eleven v eleven, that it's not going to be a festival of chances. And that's not, and that's not to, to damn defenses and say these are just these these are teams with great attacks and weak defenses. I just think these are teams with amazing attacks who will find ways around each other. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a matter of how hard they're each going to lay punches on each other. It's just how hard those punches are. Chances being taken is going to be the thing. We'll come back to the chances being taken in a minute. The other thing that strikes me about both of them, I'll go to you first on this one, Paul, both both clubs, but also both managers in this. I've, I've got something I was going to say before that I didn't get to, that Klopp, as a Liverpool manager, could simultaneously be the most intransigent and simultaneously most flexible manager we've had in a while. And it's really quite strange. A lot of the depictions around Julio and Benitez in particular were that they were stubborn men. Mm. And this was used as a stick to beat them with. Rather, I think, at their best, they were stubborn men. They were men who had a way of, of going about their business and what they believed in. What you see, I think, from both Klopp, Klopp and Guardiola is they're actually prepared to be more flexible with their players in terms of how they manage them off the pitch, for instance, letting Coutinho go recently, but also with what they get them to do on the pitch. But simultaneously, that they're given that flexibility as long as they adhere to the intransigent idea as to what we all do. And I think that's really interesting that there's, it isn't sort of a, a football that's played within a straight jacket. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. But it is played with an unbelievable amount of structure around it. And that's the case for both sides. Yeah, it's one of it's one of my favourite arguments I end up having with with people over the years. And I remember arguing about it about Guardiola's Barcelona side. Who, when people say to me, "This is dead easy," it's, why why doesn't everyone play football like this? It's dead easy. And I I, I love I love using the the example of the there's a difference between something being simple and something being easy. It seems like those two things are the same, but they're not. The way these two two men want to play football. The philosophy behind it is simple, but to carry it out and to execute it the way they both do is not easy. The work that goes behind. When I, I've watched some Barcelona matches in the past, and City are obviously getting to that level now with the way they play. I've watched it with people, and and, and they'll watch sort of twenty passes in the space of a few seconds in, in in intricate little positions, and refer to that as being easy. And it's, it's almost want to sit with people and, and slow it down and, and talk through how a team can move in a way like it's one living organism that allows those passes to be facilitated. That's the bit that most people don't, don't see about football, I think, is that the passing doesn't come without the movement. The movement doesn't come without the, the, the knowledge from each player on the pitch of where they're meant to be and how they're meant to do it. And that only comes from dedication and commitment and repeated drills over and over again that, that leads to it. Yeah, you make a great point because if you ask um, Klopp or any one of his coaching staff to distill their blueprint into one phrase, it would be simple and quick. And then they laugh because it is anything but simple. And it's supposed to be 
quickness that you you know can't even comprehend and if you speak to the players about the demands i mean i think they've all rever uh, referenced it oxalate chamberlain you know recently having to adjust from um a, a, a more technical passing game to an aggressive in what you have to do in possession out of possession a much more uh, rigorous sort of you know style both mentally and for his body uh, and so yeah it's it's my favorite fixture but I'm also a little bit what's the word I'm worried about this game I think post Coutinho because he has been quite a big part of Liverpool's victories in these encounters. He scored five goals against City, which is the most that he's managed against any side. Um, and they found it hard to stop him because he plays in the pockets as much as, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne and their players want to play in the pockets and, and had the vision to pick a pass. And Liverpool's midfield without him as it stands at the moment is concerning. I know, you know, it's great to have Adam Lallana back from his injury. He's an important player. It's timely. He's great in small spaces, but he's never been the final third player that Coutinho was. He's never been that much of a threat and he's got a great, great passing ability, but not to the extent that Coutinho did. And I think Oxlade-Chamberlain's been excellent over recent weeks, but his strengths, again, are individualistic. He's dynamic. He wants to break the lines and stuff. And that's, to, I think, to service those in front of him. Salah, Mane, I, I th he's capable of doing it, yes, but I don't think it's as much of a natural thing to him as it, as it was to Coutinho. So the only thing that concerns me about this fixture is Liverpool's midfield and where the... The improvision and, and the vision and all those things are going to come from. I, do, I don't fear Coutinho's absence for this game more than any other. In fact, I don't fear his absence at all. I just fear the lack of the option, really, because I think Liverpool have shown they can play without Coutinho this season. I don't even drop down a slight percentage, even a slight percentile. When they've had Mane, Firmino and Salah, as long as you could pick three of what was the Fab Four, this Liverpool team can be devastating. I think we've seen it in all stages this season, especially on the counter-attack. And although I think Coutinho, I mean, he's obviously got that incredible goal-scoring record against City. I wouldn't say he's had the greatest... He, he has certainly played well in those games, but it's the goals that stand out. A couple of them screamers and uh, one, you know, such a, such a sort of talismanic goal, the one against City in the 3-2. I wouldn't say he's been intrinsic to our performances. I mean, in, in that game, Sterling is the key player for the, for the main part. Jordan Henderson has an incredible impact in the second half of that game. Um... I, we didn't have in the in the, in the early phase before Mane sending off at uh, the Etihad earlier this season. Coutinho isn't isn't available that day. Is he? Am mm. I right in saying? And I think if, if we got we get Salah and Mane on form and, and Firmino's in in the groove, I'm hoping with our but, new but superstar again, at the back. Then you're talking about the attack then, and you said that your concern isn't particularly Coutinho, but the lack of an option. That's exactly. What my point is, who is who is now Not the, on the creative pitch, I mean selection. No, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm happy enough. I mean, look, you looked at us at West Ham or Arsenal without Coutinho. We didn't lack creativity one iota there. We, we have boys who just have to give it to the boys who are running. It doesn't require precision passing when the players, when the movement's that good. That's what I... 
I'm not looking at you, like, like you're mad because I think that we've shown that we can we can play perfectly well without Coutinho playing. We've, we've shown it in big games this season. Mm. But I'm, but then you begin to sort of go down the list. I'm 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 mildly concerned that Lallana had a good first start back against Burnley, but that it was different against Everton, which is often the case after you've had a long layout. Yeah. Your first one back, the adrenaline's pumping. The nature of that game against Burnley probably helped, and then he can't quite go the well again against Everton. He won't start. Um, well, I mean, you're saying that, but he's but he's in the he's in the shake up. My point, the point I'm about to come to is, I think if you look at those games where we played really well this season without Coutinho, we've had Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Channel on the pitch, yeah. and they've all been doing a good job together. And Oxlade Chamberlain at times instead of one of them. Well, Oxlade Chamberlain, but but my, my, my I sort of one of my things here when you're talking about getting the ball to them relatively quickly. That's where that, that I'm shifting the ball quite quickly. That's where I am actually. I'm mildly concerned about the lack of Henderson mm. in this in terms of someone who will just simply sh- click a click a finger and, and it'll go faster for Liverpool whether it goes to them or not. Paul, I'm getting my worry isn't so much the idea that Coutinho isn't available, but it's that there's 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 three or four players who either aren't available or you feel are just a bit off peak form. All of whom will be playing in the middle of the park. I don't think when Aldum's had a good month, as an example, I think Oxlade Chamberlain still feels a bit like a toss of a coin as to which version of him you're going to get. Uh, even though I think he's done well at times, Lalana is out. He- uh, sorry, is, is is on his way back. Henderson is out. It to me does seem like um, my concern is simply that in the middle of the park, we uh, and in that idea of shifting the ball from the middle third to the final third, I am mildly concerned we might be at one good, one light. <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm generally in agreement with that. But I think my biggest concern is if Lala, if this was a month further on, or if Lalana would come back a month earlier, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have any con- concerns really. I am a little bit concerned that th- this is. I was looking before when, you, when we. I was thinking about what side would you pick, and we've got a couple of players that I would ordinarily might throw into a game that I think will it just be too fast for them when we're talking about how quick this fixture could be. And Lalana, generally speaking, would I would have no concerns about, but only on him not being back up to 100% yet. And we don't know what, he, he might have a great training week away and come back flying. So yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I, I'm generally, again though, with I'm, I'm probably more with Rob on the fact, on the Coutinho point that I think if this was any other type of game, I'd be more worried about Coutinho not being there. But I think because we can be certain that City come and play us, I'm more in line with sort of Rob's idea that, well, there will be plenty of movements up front and plenty of running going on. And even in my midfield will be Wijnaldum, Chan and Lalana. Each of them is capable of playing a pass over the top or feeding the ball through. That doesn't need to be a Coutinho-esque, amazingly spot-on pass. It can just be in the ballpark of where you need it. So just because of the nature of the game, I'm not that concerned about Coutinho missing. Could we, you know, I we... Do I think we're missing the idea of Coutinho being around in the ether more than I'm, I'm worried about him on the pitch. We've gone through a, a really intense run of fixtures uh, from November through to December and into early January where Klopp rotated and Coutinho very often didn't feature. I know he had a run near the very end before he left where I think he plays I'm, four I'm not worried about I'm not worried about Coutinho not, not featuring. Not, I'm, worried, I'm worried about the fact that Lana's not 100%. We know he's not. Uh, that Wijnaldum's not been playing particularly well. He's I think not, he's, he's done okay he's, in patches, you know. But I think there's been patches where he's been doing his disappearing act and I'm mm. worried that you see that. And again, I think Wijnaldum plays better when Henderson's on the pitch. We haven't got Henderson as an option mm. in there. Uh, and and then you're having a conversation around Oxlade-Chamberlain. Whereas I say, I've got no problem with Oxlade-Chamberlain in centre midfield. But the one thing he's not, he's not, is a passer of the ball. He's mm. got lots of other skills and he's a decent passer, but he's not a creative passer of the ball. That's yeah. what the, And that's the point that me and Mel are making. Do you know, I, I think Liverpool will play... Uh, with Oxlade-Chamberlain ahead of Lallana in, in a kind of that 
that sort of four four two ish type formation they played at West Ham. I think that's how they. I think so. Which of the front three is missing out? Which none of the no none of the the front three. Salah and Firmino will form a, 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 a twin and Mane and Oxley Chamberlain will be nominally. And so we have Lallana centre mid next to Emery Chan. No, Lallana won't play. Winaldum and Chan will. Oh, so it's four two 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 is okay. how I think we'll play. Quite ostensibly narrow that can fan out and designed to draw to, to draw City in and hit them on the break. Mel, what do you think? I've. I, th- I take everyone's points on board, and I think Neil was the only one who got what I was saying. Is oh really? It isn't, oh, yeah. yes. oh really? <laughs> and Neil is also is, the most handsome in the room. <laughs> it isn't so much as not having Coutinho there, and no matter what anyone says, it is a thing not having him there because this is a player that contributed twenty goals in twenty games mm-hmm. this season. He does make a difference, especially in the final third. Um, and he makes those ahead of him play better. But that's not the point. The point is, without him, the options that are left. And like Neil, I have concerns over many of them, especially against this city midfield, which is, you know, it's got balance. It's got it's got everything you, you know, practically want in a midfield. Um, in terms of selection, I can, I can see Rob's point, and that's probably going to be it although I think he'd be tempted to play Lalana, um maybe a, instead of Oxalade chamberlain uh, he wouldn't play the two I, would he can I ask one question when you're talking about City's midfield and I'll go and ask everyone in the room if they both play their eight out eight and a half out of ten game if they both play their eight and a half out of ten game who's better Fernandinho or Emery Chan anyone any take uh, Fernandinho you think Fernandinho I, I don't watch enough Fernandinho. I think Emre Chan at his best is a very potent player. Mel? Yeah, I think Emre offers more. Uh, I think it's really in interesting. Both ends, I think yeah. it's really interesting. We talk a lot about Liverpool's midfield and have our conversations in the ground with people about Liverpool's midfield and not bad tempered ones. But the thing I always end up saying is, well, who do you want? Who would you have? And and and, and uh, you know, Fernandinho, I think is a good player. I think he's a really good player. I think he could could potentially be a great player, but I don't see night and day there. I don't see night and day between between no. him and and but, and, and but either of our lads. It's the entire unit. Role. It's the it entire the yeah. midfield unit. And yeah. that's and that's that's where I think that that's where I'm worried about the the difference being silver if he starts and De Bruyne being because I I think it's 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 close between uh, between the front threes. It's really close between the front threes. You can toss a coin and say which one you prefer. I think it's really close between that. If it's Henderson or Chan and Fernandinho, I think that's really close. Where I worry a little bit is I do sort of worry that Silva and De Bruyne right, yeah. are the ones who are able to outdo Liverpool in the middle of the pass. Well, this is where I think going back to the Coutinho conversation, I, I, it could potentially be a moot point anyway. I I think there was an argument that he wouldn't have played in midfield anyway. In this, no, I think fixture. I think he would have played left, but he'd have dropped and, and shown yeah. it. Yeah, be, be, being deep anyway, because I, yeah. I think, uh, despite what we were saying before, I think Klopp would want more lads in midfield who can who are able to nullify to a certain degree the threat of Silver and De Bruyne, which is a ridiculous threat. I, I often reference the Silver performance Anfield in the thirteen fourteen season, mm. and every time I see him, he's still just exactly the same as that. Yeah. And now alongside him, he's got this other lad who somehow has become better than him, which is just incredible. So. I th- my my view is he'll go a little bit more solid in the middle of the pitch, so he'll have. I I can't believe anyone thinks Lallana won't play. Joe is, is 
Really? Yeah, he's blue-eyed boy. Yeah, I think he... he mm, yeah, even if he only gets an hour out of him. I think the big, the big player for Liverpool, I actually think, is Sadio Mane. Mane's going to play off the left. Yeah, he's going to he's going to be asked to play come a little bit deep, but he's going to be asked to come and get involved. He's going to be asked to be a bit more Phil Coutinho. We saw it at times this season when Coutinho didn't play. And I actually think that the key player in the game, almost full stop, for me, is going to be Sadio Mane. If Sadio Mane really brings a performance as an attacking midfielder who joins the front three uh, and makes the front three up, and then the other two are doing front two things, then I think that we've got every chance of getting a really positive result. I'm going to ask you quickly for your predictions, Mel, first. Ooh. <laughs> 2-1 to Liverpool. 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, almost just came as a shock to you, Mel. Phil, uh, no, not Phil, Paul. <laughs> um, everyone's head's gone. The I'd say, uh, let's go bigger, 4-1 Liverpool. 4-1 um, Liverpool. I, I think I was, mine was, yeah, a bit of disbelief. I don't, I always call a Liverpool win, but I'm going to call this 1-1. One, one. One one. All right. I am four two Liverpool, and I'm four two Liverpool on all on all all platforms at all times. Uh, I'm going huge though. It might be a toss of a coin, and if I'm saying the second most likely outcome is four two City, uh, I think whoever makes it two one wins the game. Thank you very much to Paul, to Rob, and to Mel, and to John for coming in on part two. It's been a fantastic Anfield wrap up the Reds. I'm so looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be immense. Sports Social Podcast Network.